0: like a locomotive sipping drinking Arizona mixtape just around the corner did a lot in California can't wait to drop this don't sh- you yeah they gon' have fun with that smash like songam in my song's gonna break through like go
1: running back hello and welcome back to the podcast that evolves up to speed with formula 1 it is sunday september 24 2023 it is a Sunday morning. I, I'm Mark Daly. Mark Hamilton is here as well for the first ever-ish, or most the first time in recent memory that is, we're doing a podcast on Sunday morning at a time that we're usually kind of wrapping up watching a Grand Prix because what with Suzuka, the Japanese Grand Prix going at 10 o'clock local time last night, kind of like really frees up the Sunday because uh, it, it it's kind of a nice feeling knowing that we watched the race, we could do this, and then literally have a whole day in front front. of us but i'm i'm getting off track already hammy how are you this morning
2: sir my my friend i'm good other than the fact that we've officially been returned to our regularly scheduled formula one programming the aberration the the miracle that was singapore is now far distant 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 away in that rearview mirror and uh we saw another weekend. And, you know, we can probably just kind of kick this conversation off and talk about Red Bull because it was the story of two. It was kind of the story of two halves for them this weekend. But I think right off the top, let's acknowledge they are the World Constructors champions for the second time in a row, the second season in a row and sixth time overall. Uh, Max Verstappen stormed out to a race win. Ultimately, I think that delta between him and the individual that finished second could have been much greater. And I think they held a little something back. Uh, but his teammate, Sergio Perez was an absolute disaster this weekend, so I kick it over to you. If we wanted to open this podcast and just reflect on the weekend that was for Red Bull, what would you summarize as the highlights and the lowlights?
1: <laughs> well, Max was all of the highlights, and Sergio was all of the lowlights. Once again, there you because go. like you say, there you go. we've returned to our our regular programming and. You know, I mean, talk about such an up and down season for 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 Sergio Perez. I mean, Max has been rock solid. That's why they they've won the constructors' championship so early. He'll he can potentially uh, win the more wrap up the world championship, but next weekend in Qatar, or is it two weeks? I've forgotten. It's uh, <laughs> there's two so weeks. many races, two right? Weeks. Two weeks uh, when we go to uh, to Qatar to LaSalle. So, you know, I mean, and and that's it. I mean, Sergio's done well, but I mean, he's had a lot of pretty bad weekends. And let, let's just put it out there. Sergio Perez drove that Japanese Grand Prix the same way that I drive the Japanese Grand Prix when I'm playing racing sims, like bouncing off of people and disobeying all the rules and getting penalties and stuff like that. The big difference is, is I'm just some knucklehead playing video games in my, in, in my basement and he's a professional Formula
2: One driver. So wow. (laughs) Yeah. And I sent you, I sent you a message on, on Saturday, the day of qualifying and you know, Max obviously qualifies on pole. And I think my point to you at that, that moment was, I think he was trying to make something of a statement, right? That there was there was an awful lot of noise and criticism surrounding Red Bull coming out of Singapore that, hey, have they lost their way? Is this related to technical directive 0018? Is it something else? It's something else. And I think he just went out there in clean air and dry conditions, and he laid down a monster of a lap and obviously qualified on poll 128 eight, seven, seven. He was six tenths over the next closest individual. But maybe the most alarming thing is Sergio Perez qualified P5, twenty nine We're talking almost a second, a second behind his teammate. And again, those problems only kind of compounded themselves during the race itself. And, you mm-hmm. know, you and I have talked about this in, in the past that you, you might have the best car on the grid, but you cause so much havoc for yourself when you qualify poorly because when you qualify in the midfield, you start amongst a ton of other cars and, and it creates so much risk. And I think one of the things that obviously... Max has done so well over the last couple of years is he consistently qualifies on pole, and that gives him clean air, and he can get a gap, and he's gone. He doesn't actually have to race in a Formula One race, if you know what I mean. And when Sergio continually qualifies so poorly, he puts himself at risk because he's got to start three, four, five rows back, and he's amongst a ton of cars. And then that's exactly what was his undoing today was he just, he just created a series of unforced errors that, that kind of ripped apart his race, and ultimately he DNFs.
1: Yeah, exactly right. And you look at the cars up the road from Sergio on the grid. He's got Charles Leclerc immediately in front of him, the pair of Lando Norris and Oscar Piastri behind him. He has Carlos Sainz, Lewis Hamilton and George Russell. I don't care if you're driving a Red Bull or shopping <laughs> carts. When you're, face, when you're stuck in the thick of a pack of drivers like that... You know, life is not going to be easy. As we saw right off the start of the the, the, the race, I mean, that incident he had with Lewis right in turn one kind of like kicked off that whole chain reaction that led to the safety car. And, you know, it just kind of like went from bad to worse, bad to worse, bad to worse till you have this, you know broken noses and running into other drivers and penalties and you know the, the the most bizarre thing about like um you know Sergio Perez was the you know the 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 five second penalty he was given for the, the safety car infringement so but it wasn't just one thing there were multiple infringements that led yes, to that yes. safety car thing it wasn't just like one little minor brain fade this was like a complete I've completely lost the plot situation because he was passing cars going into the pit lane. He was passing cars going out of the pit lane. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like When, when I saw the replay, I'm like, it was so obvious. I'm just like... Why? What? What's going on here? Did Did he just like you know just get so flustered in the moments that he just completely lost the plot? I don't. And that just led to that that bizarre moment later on in the race. They had to unretire Sergio. I had to get him back into his uh, <laughs> into his race gear, back into the car to go do one or two laps just so he won't be forced to take a grid penalty in Qatar in two weeks. It just I've never seen that before. And literally a million years of watching Formula One, <laughs> I've never seen a. Car Unretire to. i mean We've seen cars come back out of the pits that you know the, the, where the, the the mechanics try to fix it, but I've never seen them unretire a car so a driver could go out, put in a lap just to avoid a penalty at the next race. Daily, I didn't of. even
2: know it was possible. I didn't no, even know no. that that was possible. And if all you were watching was the timing sheets, you see him retire the car, which w- kind of made sense in the moment, and then some somewhat later, all of a sudden, like he he reactivates on the timing sheets. I'm like, what the hell is like? Is this <laughs> an error, but no, and and it was funny because I was listening to the F1 TV Pro commentary and they were, I think they were trying to be politically correct, but I think the tone of their voices was like, that was... I mean, it wasn't dirty of Red Bull to do that, right? Like, you're trying to preserve the integrity of Qatar, right? Like, if you can take the penalty now in a race that's already a write off, like, you know, start with a clean sheet and Qatar. But it was just, it was so weird. And it must have been so peculiar and uncomfortable for Sergio Perez in that moment. But then again, they got to that moment because of the errors that he had made earlier in the race, whether it was plowing into the Haas because he went so late and so deep into that corner. And again, I'm I'm shocked he, the car wasn't a complete dnf at that point but ultimately you know it wasn't good and we talked so much about and even this week you know uh I, we should probably share this as well though we get into it more on thursday um red bull has confirmed the driver pairing for for alpha tauri for next year and it's going to be yuki Sonoda, and, and they were very they were very very complimentary of yuki and his development in the last two and a half years and it's going to be daniel ricardo and i i think the general consensus around daniel ricardo is that even though his sample is small this year and my friend Randy had made this comment to me as well, which was totally, totally relevant. Even though his sample in the Alpha Tower is small, they probably have a big sample of him in the Red Bull sim, and they probably understand what he can do. But the reason they're going with Daniel Ricardo is because they need and they want him to apply pressure to Sergio Perez. And then there's a whole conversation about what you do with Liam Lawson. But ultimately, this week, you could hear people on on the Red Bull camp, including Christian Horner, just talking about the fact that we are strategically doing this to apply pressure to Sergio Perez. Like, if, if you've lost that much faith in, in Sergio Perez, why not make the change now? You know what I mean? Like the, the Constructors' Championship is over. What what would mm-hmm. you hope to, like, I don't know. I, I just, it's so weird just to see somebody like Max Verstappen be able to storm to a race victory with the fastest lap by 20 seconds when he probably could have won by 30 or 40 seconds if he hadn't held back. And then you have Sergio Perez that, like you said, is playing a video game. Like, just like when you and I sit down to play F1 2023 on the Xbox, you, you're bouncing off the walls and you're going backwards <laughs> and you're stuck in the gravel truck. Like, that's kind of what his day felt like today. Yeah. Oh,
1: hundred percent and you, you mentioned a couple of uh, really interesting points there first of all Max uh, and and uh, Christian Horner over a game of table tennis this weekend max said that he wanted to win the race by 20 seconds that was his goal he came pretty close to it. I think he was about a half or point you know three quarters of a second point seven seconds off something like that so that was one thing but the the whole point um, or, or to the conversation about the announcement of the pairing of uh, Yuki and Dan Ricardo at uh, at at AlphaTauri for next year. Christian Horner told uh, Sky Sports, and I got the quote here in front of me, he said, quote, "Uh, who knows at Red Bull Racing, we want the two best drivers that are available. We've got a long-term contract with Max. Checo is out of a contract to the end of 24. And so you want to explore and see all of those options. Checo is in the hot seat at the moment and will obviously be keen to extend. We'll see how Daniel does. We'll see how Yuki does. And in the background, we'll see what later am capable of in the test and reserve role, End quote. There you go. So when you hear, you know, if you're Sergio Perez, you hear the boss saying you're in the hot seat. I'm probably if I'm that person, I'm not sleeping well at night. I'm I'm going to be, you know, I I just get super anxious at times. I I would literally be freaking out if I was Sergio Perez. But that that is not what you want to hear from 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 the team principal. But you know, more to that point, and to to your point, Mark is just like if if there's a an issue now it's just like are, are they just like not wanting to pull the plug just because dan dan ricardo still you know rehabbing and and healing from that uh, broken hand they've obviously got a good thing going with with yuki and and liam lawson uh, at the moment he's going to go into that test and reserve driver role uh, next year and then he's going to say well i'll just see what options are available to me at the end of next year Obviously, he's going to ho- hope out or hold out and hope that that seat at Red Bull or somehow it works out that he goes into the Alpha Tauri for 2025. I would be shocked if he didn't slide into Alpha Tauri along whoever the year after next. I mean, that just kind of seems like the, the trajectory. I mean, Christian Horn was very complimentary towards Liam, as he should be. I mean, he's done a fantastic job for a young driver that was just thrown into it. It's just like, we need somebody. You're that person. Go do things, and he's been amazing. But yeah, it's just like it, it, I, I keep I kept thinking as soon as you said, why not make the change now? I was just like, if Ricardo was healthy, maybe they make that change now because it's not like Red Bull can't afford to buy out Sergio Perez if they if 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 they wanted to, right? Just uh to, I, I
2: totally I totally agree. So let's let's imagine that. Daniel Ricciardo hadn't been injured, and he put in the same performances over the last four races that Liam Lawson had done, and and Sergio yeah. continued to struggle. And again, you know, Sergio eighth in Singapore. Again, that wasn't a great weekend for Red Bull. He did have that second place in in Italy at Monza, but again, that's that's a track that is kind of manufactured and engineered for this current Red Bull. But the retirement in Japan, based purely on unforced driver errors, is unacceptable. And you're right that mm-hmm. maybe that's maybe that's the decision they make. Well, let's you know what let's give let's give. Daniel Ricciardo the reps in the Red Bull now because that gives us a clear pathway to getting Liam Lawson into the AlphaTauri for next year because and dude it's crazy like if you look at if you look at the last four races for AlphaTauri and this car has evolved they brought some upgrades this weekend uh, they had new side mirrors they had a brand new rear wing and they're continuing to innovate and the car is getting better but if you look at the last four races um, in the Netherlands uh, at Zanvoort, Yuki finished 17th Liam Lawson finished 13th uh, of course in Italy Yuki didn't start but. Liam Liam Lawson had that very respectable 11th place finish in Singapore Yuki retired Liam Lawson had that phenomenal ninth place points finish and then this weekend Yuki finished 12th Liam finished 11th so while there's all this complimentary language about Yuki and his development in two and a half years he's been outperformed in four races by a rookie who has zero Formula One reps at all at all which mm-hmm. is which is remarkable and it's, it's crazy to think that this guy won't have a seat next year unless unless they a loan agreement for him. But I just I don't think and I saw some people commenting on this this weekend that I don't think Red Bull want to put him on loan to another team next year because I think they anticipate that they are going to need him full time in that car. He, he might start the season as a Red Bull reserve driver, but I think they anticipate that the dominoes will fall. Sergio will go. Daniel Ricciardo will move up and that AlphaTauri seat will open. So I don't anticipate seeing him out on a on a loaner deal, but it was crazy and he was good. This weekend, of course, I think the strategy helped him a little bit in terms of being able to recover that position from, from Yuki, but he was every good, he was every part as good. It's funny how we just transitioned from Red Bull to Alpha Tower, but he was every good as part as Yuki. And it was also awesome earlier in this race to see them going. They were fighting like corner to corner. Yuki and Liam were going at it, and it was really good, really clean racing. And during the post race show, they were they were speculating that part of this might be that Liam is anticipating that this might be his last race with Alpha Tower with Daniel. Ricardo potentially coming back in two weeks. He's like, you know what? I I provided a really good sample over the last three Grand Prix's. I'm just going to go for it. And I'm going to race this weekend. And I think he was, he was sensational.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I was just kind of thinking too, based on just what we'd been talking about, some of the things that you said, had Danny Ricardo not been injured, right? And with nothing left for, for Red Bull to worry about, they, they could potentially, if they wanted to, and I, I'm not advocating for Sergio Perez to, to, to get the sack. Right. But I mean, if they wanted to be really cold and look towards like, like next year, they could say, okay, well we got Liam that's come in to fill in for Ricardo. He's done an amazing job. Let's get him some meaningful time in a F1 car for the remaining races of the season. Yuki's locked up for next year. Max is locked up long-term. We got, uh, Ricardo coming back, we've got his like a couple, of, like a race in a bit or two races at a bit, whatever it is, before he had his crash and broke his hand. So, and plus his sim time, so we know what's going on. We know what Sergio's done over the past couple of years with nothing to worry to race for in the constructors anymore. Max is going to clinch next week or two weeks from now. 100%. I mean, 100%. You know, so, it's just like if you're looking already towards next year. <clears throat> excuse me, and then hitting the, like, the, you, you want to repeat again and start saying, well, we want to start making the conversation, we want to start making people think of or forget about Mercedes, because we can do just as much as the, you know, we could do what they did over the past decade. Now it's our turn to dominate, right? It's like, why, you know, you could get rid of, like, like Perez right now, put Ricardo in it for the rest of the season. I mean, it's, it's not going to work out that way, but... The point is, they've been ruthless before, and then I guess it would just be like, I totally would agree. it be would, would it be that cold to like cut ties with Perez at the end of the season just to get your your like preferred driver like reps for next year? I mean, I wouldn't put it past them, <laughs> you know, because we've seen how like when it comes to you know the drivers that they wanted their car, they're just like they're they're not a, not afraid to make the moves. Ask any one of the drivers that have been in that car in the last five six
2: years <laughs> max max verstappen of course scored 26 points this weekend to sergio Perez is zero that means that the gap between the two of them is now a whopping 177 points that wow. my friends is how max verstappen is going to be able to secure the championship next weekend or two weekends from now in doha um, yeah the gap between lewis hamilton and sergio perez is 33 points like that is That is startling. One, it reflects how efficient Lewis has been in extracting performances and points from that car, but it just shows how disastrous Sergio Perez's season's been. I mean, I think he has eight podiums in 16 races. How many races are we in now? 14, 13? I don't know. But he's only scored a podium in half the races, despite the fact that he's got the RB19 underneath him, which is simply unacceptable.
1: And and Lewis has had the W14, which hasn't been a great car, which is. you know the development of last year's car which is also a car that this year after several races they decided this design is not working for us we're going to go with the plan B so we have this Frankenstein effect on this W14 and he's within 33 points of Sergio Perez so that I mean that's obviously another reason that that Christian Horner and Helmut Marko are looking at Perez why is in the hot seat because yeah he should finish second in the championship to Max but we shouldn't have this conversation that that Lewis in an inferior Mercedes W14 that has undergone all these challenges and changes mid-season is is in the conversation to or you know with the potential to leapfrog Perez in the in, in the world championship you know if, if that happens if if Lewis overtakes um Perez by the end of the season. I wouldn't be surprised if they they pull the trigger sooner rather than later with the, with Perez, right? It's just like you know, would they even wait till the end of 2024 or would you just like uh you know like what do you really like I, I guess it comes down to who could you expect to score more reliable championship uh, points uh, at that point? Would it be Daniel Ricciardo if he's the person that you want to put in that Red Bull? Would it be Yuki Tsunoda if you want to put him in the Red Bull beside Max? Or would it still be the safe bet with uh, with uh, Perez? Because he shouldn't be that far behind Max. He should be behind Max, but we should be talking about kind of like Lewis Hamilton, Valtteri Bottas situation, exactly. right? I mean, how, exactly. Exactly. Like, like how consistent was Valtteri Bottas? Amazingly consistent in those several years he raced for Mercedes. He won races, he got a lot of podiums and he had very, very few Bad, bad weekends. You know, everybody has an off day at the office. You know, let us be fair, but Sergio has just been wildly inconsistent. And you know, one final thought on this before we 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 move on to well, we'll go into a break first of all. But at one point, and this is no criticism of uh, of the Sky Sports and David Croft, who I think does a phenomenal job commentating Formula One, but uh, I can't remember which incident it was during the race. But it was, I think, maybe it was when. Perez retired the first time. And there were so many things. So forgive me if I get the timing wrong. But he said, Well, it looks like Max's, um, you know, your your primary title rival is about to set to retire from the race or something like that. I'm paraphrasing. I was just like, Crofty, that's so cute. You know, it's just like, you're being so nice. You're being so generous. It's like he has never been Max's legit championship rival. Sure, that gap was pretty close at the beginning of the year, but Sergio actually started the season pretty well. He got a couple of race wins in the first quarter of the season and then he started struggling and there, there was going to be no question I think to to anybody that at some point Max would open up that gap it was it was just a question of time so it was kind of like last year right where it was just like Charles Leclerc was Max's championship rivals like yeah on paper he was but in reality he wasn't really we all knew that Max was going to win the championship it was just you know it was obvious anyways I think there's just one, one last things. question
2: for you before we kick it sure. I, I think we sure. started with 20 minutes of Red Bull Alpha a towery discussion, but... I can't imagine Sergio Perez wants to be there either, right? Like this, the situation isn't working for him. The car isn't working for him. Uh, We've, how much, how much time have we committed to the podcast the last few months talking about Helmut Marco slandering him publicly? And, and then the quote you just had from Christian Horner was like another perfect example of the team challenging him publicly. Like he cannot be enjoying this experience. And I, I don't know for certain that there would be another ride for him or another drive for him in Formula One, I'm sure that there potentially could be, but he can't be enjoying this, right? Like he's not reliably scoring podiums. He's not competing for race wins. He hasn't scored a race win since Baku uh, in the very beginning of the season. And he hasn't meaningfully contended for one since then that he can't be enjoying this car and he must just be miserable coming out of this. So again, and I think your, your point earlier was a really good one that Daniel Ricardo came in and, and if he had had a four or five race sample that mirrored Liam Lawson or was potentially better, plus his sim work, you know what, maybe the intention was to replace Sergio this year. And I think it's been complicated, obviously, because he was hurt. But now we've had this Liam Lawson sample, and there's all this incremental pressure to make a change. But, you know, I I just, I have to think that that's got to be the conversation in Milton Keynes is, what do we do with Sergio Perez? I mean, he's not going to cost them a championship. He's not going to cost them prize money because they're they're already the constructors champion. Um, But I think it's more about what can we do this year to better position ourselves to be successful? next year with both of our teams from the jump I think that's got to be the question for Christian Horner and the rest of the Milton Keynes team
1: well well one more thing here like I'll just add a twist to a twist in, in this story we, we got half a dozen races left right let's say that Dan Ricardo comes back or even if he doesn't say Danny's you know he doesn't come back to Qatar in a couple of weeks we still know Liam Lawson is going to do a phenomenal job in that Alpha Tower Yuki seems to really settle down he really seems to have found his feet recently I you know he Uh, which is, obviously a big reason why he got the uh, you know the new deal to stay with Alpha Tauri it is in that conversation for the Red Bull seat you know conveniently at the you know the Japanese Grand Prix like gets a lot of positive press from the big team right strange how that happens but uh, let's put it this way say Ricardo comes back in two weeks and doesn't look like he's struggling too much looks like he's uh, back to full fitness what happens with half a dozen races to go that somewhere along the line Perez has another stinker of a weekend like like at that point, it's just like, you know. Do they do they make do they pull the plug? You know, you know, Sergio Perez might want to phone Danny Kvyat or Pierre Gasly or Alex Albon have a bit of a chat and see. Okay, well, you know, what was it like? Is there like a clear, you know, it on the wall moment that I should uh, be aware of, or does it just kind of come out of nowhere that when, when you're in like
2: this, you know, in, in like a, in Christian Horner's own self described hot seat, right? Daily, as we're talking, friend of the show, Matt Sicaris, who hasn't been on the show in a while, we should probably revisit that. But as we're talking, Matt Sakaris text messaged me, and he says Red Bull owes it to racing fans to put a more competitive driver in the second seat. Sergio might be the biggest underachiever of anyone on the grid this year, so I, I think that's yeah, a valid statement. Yeah, yeah and I absolutely. Think, uh, aside from maybe Lance Stroll in the first half of the season with that Aston Martin, while while Alonso was stacking up podiums, I I think that might be a qualified statement from from Mr. Matt Sakaris.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a, a very, 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 a, very, very good uh, comment. I'm struggling for words here. I was reading two things. It's early. No, it's early. Matt's comment is absolutely on point. Uh, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. Uh, plenty of other stories to talk about. We'll do that in just a moment. So please don't go. We will be right back.
0: Uh, hmm
1: All right, welcome back and uh, we are going to move on to some other topics now. Spent a, obviously a great deal of time talking about uh, Sergio Perez, Red Bull and Max, you know, phenomenal uh, achievement uh, for, for them to wrap up and claim uh, uh, the the world constructors championship with so many races to go. I mean, it obviously wasn't a question of if, but when. But it was interesting too because uh, I've got the constructors championship uh, standings right here. So Red Bull has clinched it with 600 23 points so far this season. Mercedes a second with 305, Ferrari with 285, Aston Martin with 221, and then McLaren with 172. So obviously the the big prize has been decided, but Mark, there's some very interesting things going on further down in the constructors. I mean, 20 points now between Ferrari and Mercedes, and that's not a lot of points because Mercedes seems to have found their feet. They're obviously not as quick as Red Bull, but they're competitive. They're reliable. They don't seem to be. Well, they're still struggling comparative to, uh, to where they were a couple of years ago. And Ferrari have kind of uh, found a bit of, a, you know, found some equilibrium and found some competitiveness. And to be quite honest, Mark, I didn't think we would be sitting here at this point in the season with a, a 20 point gap between Ferrari and Mercedes. And this is very uh, interesting, too, because we saw that uh, incident where, you know, Lewis and George kind of went at it with, uh, had a bit of a, you know, got their elbows out going into, was it Spoon or where, wherever it was at one of the corners uh, there at, uh, and, and, George got pushed a little wide. George gets on the radio. It's just like, who are we racing each other or who? Something to that effect. Lewis said after the race that they're going to go chat offline and and get things uh, sorted out because, you know, Lewis was basically like, neither of us are in the championship conversation. We are as a team in the conversation to take P2 in the in the constructors, which is no small thing. And, you know, the, the only goal for them right now is to stay ahead of um, uh, Ferrari, who, like I say, have also found a a little bit of uh, competitiveness here so it's interesting like that little battle between those two teams but then further down you have the one-legged team of Fernando Alonso and Aston Martin taking on a very very impressive McLaren team and uh we, we should maybe just go down the uh (laughs) The the final race classification, just to give this a little bit of context. So Max wins the Japanese Grand Prix. P2 was... uh, Oops, sorry, that's the starting grid. So the... P2 was uh, Lando Norris, P3 was Oscar Piastri, P4 was Charles Leclerc, 5th was Lewis Hamilton, 6th was Carlos Sainz, 7th was George Russell. So after you get the the 2 3 of the the two McLarens, then you get this mix up of the the two Ferraris and the two Mercedes cars which really brings that uh, conversation nicely into um Into focus, eighth you have Fernando Alonso, and then ninth and tenth you have the pair of Alpine cars with Esteban Ocon and uh, Pierre Gasly rounding out the top ten. And it's funny too because that top ten almost precisely mirrors what the constructors' championship is like, with the exception of the two McLaren cars on, on the podium. But it's it's like you know, first of all, that Ferrari Mercedes. Conversation is is interesting, but then the Fernando Alonso Aston Martin versus McLaren is is you know I think this is going to end very badly for for Aston Martin daily, they daily. went from
2: seconds hundred percent hundred percent and I I think a lot of people that are tuning in probably want to want to hear us talk a little bit about McLaren and and obviously from a qualifying perspective I I I omitted this because I wanted to save this but uh, Oscar Piastri he was six tenths behind uh, Max Verstappen the pole setter but he he qualified P2 and Lando Norris qualified yes. P3. And of course, to kind of kind of provide a little bit of background on this, some backdrop, of course, they came into the season with a fundamentally broken car and they brought a raft of upgrades for Silverstone and, and Austria, which catapulted their performance. And then they brought another series of updates last weekend in Singapore. Of course, only Lando got those upgrades. But this weekend, Oscar got the upgrades as well. And it just seems to be this quantum leap. And the battle that you referenced there that I think is going to be most intriguing is going to be aston martin and 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 mclaren and i think you're right this isn't going to end well for for aston martin so i just quietly did a little bit of math in the last two races mclaren Mm -hmm. has outscored aston martin 57 to four. So right now you sit here and there's a 50 point gap between the two teams. They just made up 53 points in two Grand Prix. And of course you look at this like, well, you know, you know, Lance didn't start last race and he had a retirement this week. But I mean, that's, that's again, fundamentally the, 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 it's again, Lewis or Lance didn't start because he committed a major error pushing too hard and qualifying and wrecked the car and sat out for health and safety reasons. That is a driver error. This weekend, he he was retired, presumably, again, I, I think there's a lot of speculation that it wasn't the case. But wing damage. Wing damage, <laughs> yep, wing damage. So again, he collects no points. And, and, and like, oh... I love that point that it's not going to end well for Aston Martin. So Aston Martin at one point was P2 in the constructors. I would bet money today, daily that they will finish no better than P5. That I think McLaren is coming with a vengeance, that this upgraded car is a monster, that Oscar is a sensational rookie and worth every penny that he's being paid, and Lando is, is everything that people have said he has been since 2019, that I do not think that they will hold on to P4. I don't think it's even remotely possible.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well 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 that's the thing. I mean the the way like like who does this? In this day and age, who upgrades their car that good over the course Daily, of the Have season? you ever seen Mis-
2: anything like this? I've never seen a car so fundamentally... Tra- like in, in prior years, teams might mm-hmm. carry over the chassis from the prior year. And we talked about even Ferrari's done that before. And then they bring the new car. This is the same chassis. It's just everything that attaches to that chassis has been transformed. And, and you're right. Like Go back to Bahrain. They finished 17th and had a retirement. They were so fundamentally off the pace. They look like an F2 car. And now they are the yep. only team that is meaningfully challenging the Red Bulls. Well, well, that's just it.
1: I mean, Lando said his cool down lap like over race radio. He said, quote, incredible. Well done, everyone. Insane double podium. Two of us up there. We are coming for Red Bull. Let's keep up the work. Incredible. Thank you so much to everyone in the factory. Everyone here at Trackside. Love you all so much. Thank you. End quote. And, you know. There, I think there's a kernel of truth to that because l- let's just uh, take a look. First of all, at the um, at the qualifying time, so so Red Bull is obviously that combination of Honda Red Bull and Max Verstappen is, is unbeatable. But what what McLaren has done over the course of the season is incredible as well. What they you know to to upgrade that car, like you say, was was pretty much of like on. Um, Performance wise with an F2 car, literally. I mean, it's not that uh, far off of an, uh, an exaggeration. So Max's Q3 time was an eye watering 128.877. Oscar Piastri's uh, P, or sorry, Q3 time was one twenty nine point four five eight. Landos was a one twenty nine point four nine three. So there's obviously a big gap there. Nobody was touching Max, uh, but then look at uh, that. you look at the uh, the Q3 time of Charles Leclerc. He said a one twenty nine point five four two. So they're at least on par with the Ferraris, at least in qualifying trim at Suzuka. So that is a a pretty good comp. I mean Ferrari is obviously have their own problems but then look at Sergio's Q3 time at 129.650 and then kind of go down the, to the through the order there Fernando's Q3 time was a 130.560 that you know wow i mean the, they're so far off of the pace and McLaren is just absolutely I know they're blowing my mind. I cannot comprehend how they're doing the things that they're doing. And of course, they are going to keep their own secret sauce recipe to themselves because they don't want anybody else to figure it out. So, you know, teams like Mercedes can figure out how to do like this, uh, you know, mid-season transition. And, you know, I think you have to give Mercedes some, you know, some recognition of the job that they've done because they look like they were going nowhere fast as well at the beginning of the season. And and that's part of the reason too, that, uh, that, that McClellan, sorry, um, Aston Martin has fallen back through the, you know, the, the order so much it's, it's not just that Lance isn't scoring points, which he's failed to do or maximize his points haul over the course of the season, which, you know, is, has been obvious all season long, but we've seen this huge improvement from, uh, from, from McLaren, which has been light years to where they were at race one, two, three, up till about what race eight or nine or 10 or whatever it was. And then we've seen the incremental, the slow, but steady, you know, the, the tortoise and the hare kind of thing of the, the Mercedes and the Ferrari story that, okay, they're not out there winning races every week or pushing the Red Bulls, but we've seen this incremental improvement race by race, week by week, month by month over the course of the season. And no wonder, I mean, slow but steady as as they've steadily improved as well and it's it's no real shock but i mean that that they've ended up where they are but it is a real shock where mclaren is it's a real shock where aston martin is and it won't be a real shock if they end up at that bottom of the top five pile i mean and they're they're not going to fall behind alpine because they're horrible the team has literally been falling apart from within and they're just so disorganized which is a shame because they have a lot of potential but that's a different story for a different time
2: i think this is fun just as a as a fun point of reference but i brought brought up the 2022 qualifying uh classification at at the japanese grand prix 29 degrees oh, okay. clear sunny dry warm very similar to how it was of course max Verstappen qualified on pole last year he qualified on pole with a 129.3 this year it was a 128.8 so he was four tenths of a second faster this year than he was last year wow where it gets interesting of course it's a different chassis and it's probably not a uh, necessarily a fair comp but last year Lando Norris did manage to get into Q3. Daniel Ricardo didn't his Q2 time was 137 or 13659. Uh, Lando Norris did get into Q3 he finished 10th. Uh, he scored a 1310 meaning that his qualifying time this year in Q3 was one and a half seconds faster than it was last year like that's that's transformative absolutely transformative and it's less so even the transition from last year's chassis to this year's chassis is everything they've done and you're you're right like a lot of teams they build incrementally on the car and i ironically aston martin's kind of gone backwards that every upgrade has taken them a step backwards but this year with 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 McLaren is really these two massive upgrade packages Silverstone slash Austria and Singapore slash Japan and I've just I've never seen a car make so many steps forward uh, so quickly and again it's not quick they spent months and months developing these parts and I'm sure a lot of these parts were in development as far back as the winter but just transformational and we talked earlier this year about Oscar Piastri missing on that podium earlier in the season and Zach Brown had said we're not worried there's lots to come and I remember you and I talking off the air like there's no question that he will score a podium this year. And here's his his maiden podium uh, for the young Australian driver.
1: Yeah, it was great to see, right? And I was just kind of thinking too, as you were talking about just the whole evolution of McLaren over not just the course of the season, but going back to the off season as well. That they make this announcement that Andreas Seidel is leaving his post at McLaren's team principal, going over to take uh, control of the the Audi uh, project to get that uh, online, get it up and running to hit the track in 2026. And Andreas Seidel has been, you know, one of those people that's been transformative to that McLaren pro- uh, program over the past uh, several years. Because I mean, if you go back to 2015, when well, you had uh, Stoffel Vandoorne and Fernando Alonso at uh, the very pro- problematic Honda. Hon- you had like Eric Boulier involved. And, and I mean, just like they literally cleaned house once uh, Zach Brown got there and they brought, you know, Andreas Seidel in, who he, he was uh, what was he was like Porsche's head of the what their LMP1 project, right? Um, Anyway, so he comes in and part of the team that really turns this McLaren team around to, you know, like they were pretty, you know, Unimpressive, and that's being generous. Before like Zach Brown and 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 the the current regime came on board, right? And slowly but surely, you know, uh, you know, under Andreas Seidel, they got this team pointed in the right direction. And then he leaves in the offseason to take over the Audi project. You know, Andrea Stella steps up. It's an internal promotion. I'm like, ooh, you know, this this doesn't look good. You know, is you know, you know, Seidel's been, you know, that person that's, you know, been kind of like the the hub of all of this uh, you know, improvement and what, what you call like minor success over the past uh, several seasons. He's gone now. Stella comes in, will will he be able to do the job? You know, will will he be able to to to, to move this thing forward? And they have this, you know, really Not great start to the season, which you summarized so nicely a few minutes ago, Hammy. And then all of a sudden, you know, we see like this, like when you kind of look at the bigger picture of what they've been through in the last, not even 12 months, that's what makes the whole McLaren thing that much more impressive to me. And uh, there was another uh, interesting one in here too, that uh, uh, just uh, talking about Lando Norris. So um, I'm just trying to find the quote here. So, it was Anthony Davison who was uh, doing the color commentary on uh, on Sky Sports uh, th- this weekend, and uh, he was um, you know said uh, quote Lando Norris, what would you, what can you say about him? I'd love to see him in the other car at Red Bull giving this man Verstappen a proper fight because I think he would. A grace race by Lando today had such speed, but nobody could touch Max Verstappen. Had the car to do it, and he utilized it well. End quote. Of of course, you know, like Lando and Max in, you know, similar equipment, that would be fun to watch. Lewis Hamilton, Max Verstappen in similar equipment would be fun to watch. Fernando Alonso and Max Verstappen, you can make that list and build it any, any way that you want. I mean, the the thing is that um, where does this McLaren story end? we don't know right now but uh, the the way that they've they've interjected themselves among the top runners like at
2: this point in the season is 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 pretty pretty amazing i would i would love to read a long form article talking about a how they got to a point where the car was so bad to begin the season like what fundamentally went wrong and then i would also love to understand how they were able to identify and rectify those issues and then and then create this car. Because we, we talk so much about Aston Martin. I'll save some of this for Thursday. But the the, the sense and the impression I get from talking to people is that uh, Aston Martin inherited some new brain trust with people like Dan Fallows, and they did a really good job of Capturing the essence of what was working well for Red Bull, but they never truly understood why those things were working. And as they've tried to upgrade it, they've just taken it in the wrong direction, which is one of the reasons why they've fundamentally fallen off so much. But yeah, a ton, a ton of credit to to McLaren because right from qualifying through the race, uh, they were sensational. I should also acknowledge that that drag race at the start, daily on lap one, when the lights went green between Lando and Max and and Oscar mm-hmm. Piastri was like. Like we, we, we all knew it wasn't going to end well for for the McLarens, but I, I love the fact that they, they went for it. That was amazing.
1: It, it it was an exciting quarter mile yeah, until yeah, yeah. reality kind of reestablished itself, and then you know honestly, what with that that sort of chain reaction, and then you know like grass and everything flying up into the air, kind of really distracted me as to like w- what happened. I was like, okay, who went off the track there? And then by the time we got to about turn three, I I realized that 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 Max was in front of the two McLarens and started to open a little bit of gap uh, that 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 quickly. I just wanted to read a couple more quotes, uh, just a little bit of odds and ends before we we wrap it up here. Um, Just um, Fernando Alonso uh, talking about the thrown me to the lions quote, uh, just, uh, you know, he's pretty vocal on his race radio, obviously a little bit uh, frustrated with the, you know, the strategy call from Aston Martin. Anyways, he said um, in the media scrum after the race, quote, it was a good race. I think mega start up to P6 and then we had good pace in the race. I think we didn't optimize the strategy. Maybe we stopped too soon at the beginning, too early. Maybe that compromised a little bit, the final result, but uh, we were fast and the pace was a little bit better than expected, so I had fun in the car. I think today we had a little bit more than the results shows. I think P6 and definitely P7 was possible after the start, uh, but obviously the McLarens were a little bit too far ahead at the moment. We need to see everyone is flat working working flat out in the factory to bring some new parts before the end of the season. So let's see what that can bring, end quote. So that's interesting again, and we talked about it last week. It's interesting that now in the season that uh, the that, that teams are still developing, still bringing new. Upgrades to the car this this late in the season, and I guess it just goes to to show how important it is in the in the constructors to get that uh, you know that prize money. Also, just want to go back to the Ferrari Mercedes battle in the constructors. There was a, a quote that I have from uh, Charles Leclerc here talking to Sky Sports after the race, just addressing that. And 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 Charles feels like uh, despite being twenty points behind the Mercedes cars at the moment, that they indeed are better positions than uh, Mercedes are in this final run to Abu Dhabi at the end of the ra- season in November. He had to say, quote, I mean, they are strong, especially in the race uh, today. They were on it. They put us under a bit of uh, pressure towards the end, splitting the cars twos. That was an interesting strategy. So they're strong in the race, but especially in qualifying, it's a bit more inconsistent, but it's going to be a very close fight because we are a bit more inconsistent in the race. They are a bit more inconsistent in qualifying, but I have a feeling inside me that we have learned a few things in the last weekend that will hopefully give us the upper hand for the rest of the season. So interesting, a little bit of food for thought. So <clears throat> just one final thing before we uh, we close it down here, Hammy. Um, I do just want to go down the driver's standings and then we'll, we'll do a fantasy update uh, before we, we close it down. So Sergio Perez did not have uh, a very great weekend. We talked about that uh, at length off the top of the show. Another driver that did not have a great weekend was was Lo- Logan Sargent at uh, oh, Williams, yeah, the Young yeah, American yeah, ro- yeah. Rookie stuffed it into the wall in, in qualifying, had that, uh, you know, lockup going into Spoon that took out, uh, you know, Valtteri uh, Bottas. That led to a literal WTF moment uh, over race radio. That, that that actually was a thing. And uh, so he retired from the, the race. You know, I, I, I try to be generous when it comes to, to rookie drivers and, you know, getting acclimatized and getting into to, to, to Formula One. But, you know, just Generally, I mean, Logan has had like a pretty rough season. He's one of um, the, the only other drivers that haven't scored a, a point this year, besides Logan Sargent, is Nick DeFries, who is no longer in Formula One. Danny Ricardo, who is, you know, currently rehabbing an injury and only has two races to his credit, who replaced uh, Nick DeFries. But uh, Logan Sargent, zero points. And then his teammate, um, Alex Albon, currently has 21 points in the Williams. So that that is you know a, a big difference. Not that he should have as many points as Alex, yeah. but
2: he's been it's been it's been rough, let's put it that way. I, and if you remember back on September 3rd, team principal at Williams, James Voles, had made a comment about the fact that he needed to quote earn his place in the quote unquote meritocracy of Formula One. And there were some really striking comments this weekend from from James. And specifically he said um, regarding regarding that crash, he said, for a number of races, Logan has been on an old aerodynamic package in a number ways. Um, It's actually a hybrid, blah, 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 blah. Uh, But he goes on to say, as we near the end of the year under the cost cap, what you don't want to be doing is overproducing parts. We've had more attrition than was expected. It's fair to say we have enough to deal with with this accident today, but it will mean we'll have to divert attention away from other items while producing more spare parts before we get to the end of the year. And what he's actually saying here is his frequent crashes are forcing a team that's operating under a cost cap to take financial resources away from the 2024 car to develop replacement parts that every crash he causes um, is is basically compromising their 2024 championship and and yeah it's crazy like that car by the way was a write off and we can get into the fact that the chassis was done it was basically a third car and they took the penalty as a result but at this point in a season 16 races into his Grand Prix um, career like this is fundamentally unacceptable and I think they were willing to take a waiver on him this year but I don't think they were expecting him to be so so problematic in terms of stuffing that car, but for the team mm-hmm. principal to come out and say, look, you know what? At this point, we're undermining our 2024 efforts because we have to keep developing replacement parts for this car. That is striking. And I think on the back of the comments from Vols back on September 13th, I think it's fair to say that Logan Sargent will maybe finish the season. Maybe. I, I, I don't know. I think we've still got six races left, but I can't imagine a scenario where he's back for 2024. You know, one of the things I love about watching sports is not only
1: watching amazing athletes do amazing things that mere mortals like you and me, Hammy, just aren't you know capable of doing, but it's also the passion and the emotion, the highs and the lows. And one of the striking moments from this weekend was, you know, not only the you know the, the joy and the celebrations at, at Red Bull for celebrating a, a job well done, which was incredible. And they obviously they they deserve to celebrate celebrate that. But one very, very, it was like a micro moment in the entire weekend was after Logan stuffed it into the wall in qualifying. They had a camera in the Williams garage and they they, they panned over to one of the Williams mechanics. You could see the disappointment and the you know, just the I wouldn't say negative. Just you know, th- let's go with disappointment. Just you could tell is, oh, just like real frustration and and uh, negative, you know, vibes, whatever you want to call it. It was you know, it was just one of those moments of someone for for most of us is just you know another person in the pit lane because that's not Logan Sargent, obviously not a Max Verstappen, just one of the many many people that work uh, track side in the garage there. And you know, I found that quite a tangible moment, which was uh, kind of interesting too but just um, you know to to address those comments you know if you're james voles that even though that you have a, a mercedes engine at the back of your your car and you're you know i wouldn't say uh well you kind of sort of are but not really a mercedes guy because I mean, he was with mercedes all those years through their glory era over the past decade but are you not maybe making a phone call to christian horner or to Helmut marco this week it's just like hey That Liam Lawson guy, what are you planning to do with him next year? How about we come to some sort of agreement and get him into a Williams for for, for next year? Because, you know, a partnership of Liam Lawson and Alex Albon, you know, there's some obviously interesting Red Bull ties with Alex Albon, but it it wouldn't it wouldn't be a bad thing right get 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 the kids some meaning uh, meaningful reps and get them some laps in a in a formula 1 car anyways heavy i'm just going to leave it there so i just want to finish up uh, just go over the uh, driver's uh, championship right now uh, max verstappen now on an even 400 points sergio perez 223 lewis hamilton 190 and closing in on sergio perez fernando alonso 174 carlos sainz 150 charles leclerc 135 lando 150 George Russell, 115 points. Oscar Piastri of 57. And Lance Stroll rounding out the top 10 with a rather unimpressive 47 points. Hemi, let's We've do got the, fantasy. Uh, the fantasy. So big, big
2: apologies to everyone because we didn't have it last week. There were some issues with the site. It looks like it's updated and hopefully this reflects the Japanese Grand Prix. Sitting in number one spot, no change from the prior week, which we weren't able to share. Michael Kranji 16, just shy of 4,900 points. Uh, he's leading Matt Noob, T. Team 3, who's leading Vince Des. Team 2, who's leading Matt Noob Team 2. Uh, there's a new team here that I've never seen before, Relam, Relampago Mark I, I will learn how to pronounce that properly for next week. In uh, number 6, our good friend Bengals Bubs. Number 7, Crash Team Racing 1. Number 8, gotifi Team, followed by The Bad Guys Bye Bye, followed Axis Mon, followed by Yellow Racing, followed by Aaron Kiernalinen followed by Lions F1, followed by Rossoneri Team 1, followed by also last place. So I I think if there's a a takeaway here, there's still a lot of movement um, in this championship, even though we've only got six races left in the F1 championship. But right now, the number one and the number two spots are separated by, I'm doing some quick math in my head, uh, they're separated by 58 points and the delta between the first place finisher and the third place finisher currently is about 53 points or 63 points. So still lots, The movement. I have slipped. I'm, I'm currently number 309 and falling rapidly on 4,200 points. But again, the championship is not yet decided. And then finally, daily, uh, we are rapidly approaching our Las Vegas Grand Prix watch party at my place in the middle of November. We've had a couple of people. We've had a couple of people RSVP, but for this to move forward, like I can't do this with three people. Like we got to get five, 10 people. So if you're interested, please let us know as quickly as possible.
1: Cool. All right, Hammy, let's wrap it up. We get this thing out there today and enjoy the rest of the Sunday. I want to advocate for 10 p.m. Pacific race times just across the board. If that means half the calendar converts to like night races, I'm good for it just because, you know, the world revolves around us. In a perfect world, right? But <laughs> Anyways, that's the one thing I love about like Australia and Japan and some of the Asian races that it just really works out nicely for us. Anyhow, we'll leave it there. If you want to get in touch, send us a message on tw- uh, on i was gonna say twex x twitter x whatever you call it at scooteryf one pod send us an email at scooteryf one pod at gmail.com got some emails got to get into hopefully we can do that on thursday until then everyone thank you for tuning in have a great week and we'll talk to you again soon bye for now